0: I love that opening from Utah's own Pixie and the Party Grass Boys. Hello, Utah skiers and riders, and welcome to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. Ski Utah's Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West's passion is crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home here in the American West. If you're visiting this winter, join me at one of High West's three must-visit locations in Park City and nearby Wandship. Thanks to our episode sponsors. First off, welcome to Level 9 Sports. Whether you live here in Utah or are flying in for a vacation, Level 9 Sports is a family-oriented ski and board shop with four locations across the Wasatch Front. It's a great spot for a tune or get that boot fitting you've needed for a while now. Also welcome to St. Regis Deer Valley, one of the world's most luxurious slopeside resorts. And welcome to St. Regis Deer Valley, one of the world's most luxurious slopeside resorts. This season, enjoy a unique dining experience with family or friends in the New York Village or spend a day in the renowned Remed Spa, a perfect way to relax and renew. At its core, skiing is about family, and that's the story of Utah's Beaver Mountain. Located up the gorgeous Logan Canyon, it's the longest continually operated family-owned ski area in America. I drove up to Beaver Mountain to experience it for myself. While it may not be the biggest mountain in the state, it sure does ski big, with long sweeping runs, tons of terrain, and plenty of powder glades. And the view from the top of Harry's Dreamlift, well, you'll need to experience that for yourself. Since 1937, skiers have been finding their way up Logan Canyon to ski. It began with a dream of Harold Seeholzer. He passed it on to son Ted. And today, the entire Seaholzer family is running the ski area, starting with Marge, who's been manning the ticket window since 1964. I spent a morning with mountain manager Travis Seaholzer. Skiing around the mountain, he greets guests by name and loves to stand atop the mountain to talk about this hidden gem that he calls home. Let's learn about what makes this family ski area truly unique as we join Travis and Marge for this episode of the Ski Utah podcast, Last Chair. And we're here today with Travis Seeholzer, And uh, Travis, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Last Chair today.
1: Absolutely. Glad to be here, Tom. Uh, glad we got to show you around a little bit and see a little bit of beaver this morning.
0: I, I have to say, uh, by the way, we're doing this interview in, in late January. There was... I know that you didn't report snow overnight, but I think you just were keeping it a secret because we had, being the PR guy, I'm going to say we had three to four inches of fluffy little snow on the edges.
1: Well, we did have that debate with the guests we ran into. I called it frost, and it was hoary and very light, but yeah, I think two to three, we... We do our Ski Utah report early, and locals in the know always know that it may snow a fair bit between the time that ski report goes in and the time the lifts actually start turning, and that's kind of the uncounted snowfall for the day. Well, it was I
0: have to say it was the most enjoyable ski day I've had this year, and there were a number of things that made it fun. First of all, it's a new place for me. It was great to come up and try a new mountain. Nice long runs really perfect terrain for my ability level I just love the essentially the the blues that you took me on today Uh, but it's it's just the atmosphere I mean it just was a lot of fun being out there and having you by the way for any listeners if you do go skiing with Travis up here at Beaver Mountain do plan on him running into a lot of guests that he knows right
1: yeah we're a pretty small community up here and that's I, mean, I tell our employees every year in lift training I think that's what makes it a really enjoyable job is you do get to know the guests very well because you see the same people every week and for me it's been year after year and you know a lot of history and, and second and third generation families that ski a beaver
0: well you could really tell that and it, and it was it was a lot of fun you know the other thing that I, I really enjoyed I mean I do love the super hyper fast lifts today but it was really relaxing today to have a a little bit a chairlift ride where we could actually get a good conversation in and enjoy the, the scenery. Uh, but I really did have a great day today.
1: Well, I, as far as we have all fixed grip lifts here, obviously. So, And I legitimately am of the school of thought that I... I enjoy and need that little bit of time on the chairlift. <laughs> if I ski on a detach all day, I get tired. And, you know, with my kids and my family, I have a captive audience for that eight or nine minute ride to get up there and my kids can't get away from me. And so I can uh, put the screws to them when we're riding the lift and then we get to go have fun. Love it. Yeah,
0: it was it was just a nice pace. Beautiful drive up Logan Canyon this morning. Uh, just a, just a, a great day. We're going to get into the history, and and there is an amazing history of of this place that we'll explore a little bit later on. But uh, talking in the short term, I know that like all resorts, COVID has really changed the management of what you do here day to day. But the good news is that you and others in the industry have provided an opportunity for skiers to get out there and ski. What are some of the things that you had to manage this year at Beaver Mountain to make this place get this place open for everyone to come out and enjoy?
1: Well, everyone listening that's in the industry understands it was a a long and painful summer and fall of preparations and the unknown. Um, There was a lot of resources provided by the National Ski Area Association and different partners in planning, but frankly, you know, we said it amongst our own staff and department heads, you know, you have all these plans and all these things on paper, but we had no idea what that was really going to look like. You know, it was pretty frightening. A buddy of mine that works in the industry said, "Opening day at his ski area was like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute," and that was the analogy. And overall, I think some things we misjudged, some things we got right, and others we have adapted for. Um, the biggest concern, I think, for me locally in Beaver Mountain. We have a lack of facilities already, and for the number of people we have, we don't have extra indoor space to convert to something, as a lot of skiers have done, and, and we frankly are already bursting at the seams. And so my big concern, one of them was was this day lodge and the indoor spaces with lockers and everything else, and that has actually been probably the smoothest transition. And we have not required reservations at beaver mountain which is uh definitely in the minority and in the minority in the state of utah and there was a lot of thought and debate gone into that decision and we have seen an influx of people because of it but i don't think it's really affected the other departments and in the indoor spaces and ski patrol and and things we were concerned about that way but the big thing is our day lodge is limited to probably about 40% of its capacity last year, which is significant. We have provided, last weekend we actually had five different food venues, uh, four of them being outside, food trucks, different things. And the guests have really embraced the tailgating. One bright side of not having a lot of winter this year is we've had a lot of nice sunny days for people to sit outside and eat. And so we've been wondering when winter returns, hopefully soon, how excited they're going to be about that when it's 10 degrees and snowing sideways. And we'll see how that goes, but... We do have a tent set up in the parking lot, which functions as our rental desk, so we do all the paperwork there, and then the guests come inside, which limits some of the numbers in the indoor space there.
0: One of the things I really liked when I arrived here, and again, it was my first visit to Beaver Mountain, but... I uh, parked in the parking lot. And by the way, it came on a midweek day. And I, I highly recommend if you want to come up to Beaver Mountain, come on up in the middle of the week. It's it's like a it's like a private ski area. It was so much fun this morning. But not having been here before and you don't know the lay of the land, but you had a guest service tent right out in the parking lot where you had someone who was able to direct me and give me a trail map and get me set up with my ticket and everything. It was it was just a great way to get here and know where I needed to go to enjoy the day.
1: Yeah, the guest services this year's greatly enhanced, and that was really due to the COVID situation and all the changes for our regular guests, um, what doors they can go in and what they can't, what protocol is for getting your rental skis and getting a ski lesson and, and all of the different function of the, functions of the resort. But it's going to be one of those things, I think, in our operation that we've really seen the value of that even beyond... COVID issues or COVID questions. And the the bigger part of that department, I think most resorts have probably staffed extremely heavy this year, both due to staff absences and greater needs for people enforcing uh, mask requirements, counting noses, because in our lodge, we don't require reservations to come inside, but we are counting people and keeping it under that COVID carrying capacity number. And so that department has been pretty broad between helping the guests like yourself and explaining where you go and how you do things, but also taking up all these other responsibilities of enforcing what we would like to have happen so we can keep skiing this year. And overall, as I mentioned, it's it's been good um we we know we've missed a few things and we have been able to adapt on some of them but we have been very busy which has been interesting with the slow start to the winter and we've had okay snow and okay coverage but it isn't what we're used to we're all snow snobs here in northern utah so aren't we all yeah it's uh (laughs) it's been a little painful but um and we don't make any snow at beaver mountains so we are strictly relying on mother nature and i think when you get out there and if we do have suitable coverage the product probably is a little better than man-made snow, but um, that's what we have to work with, so we're pretty good at it.
0: the snow was fun today. It was really good snow, good consistency, really good coverage, knowing what we've had here in in Utah, but uh, really, really good day. Have you seen a change in your customer base? I know that historically you are a Logan local area for the most part. Have you started to see an influx of more people coming from greater distances to enjoy beaver mountain
1: yeah it's kind of been growing for a few years actually and we we kind of bill ourselves as utah's best kept secret and the running joke locally is we're not a secret anymore it's our our traditional market is logan cache valley southern idaho southwestern wyoming we do have a a fair number of guests from rock springs even star valley kimmer that area But this year, we have seen lots of different license plates. And and as I mentioned, this isn't all this year or just due to COVID, but I think that's part of it as people are out and about. seems like every morning we pull in the parking lot and there's three or four new campers sitting here waiting for us. And people are driving around, skiing around the country. And quite a few of those, I think, are part of the Indy Pass, we've noticed. And to this point with the Indy Pass, a small ski area coalition we're a member of, we've redeemed over 25 different states, which is pretty fun. But that is not the Beaver Mountain that I grew up skiing at, because we are, I'd say, 90% locals, which we really love, and we love getting to know everyone. But it is fun seeing people from other places discover us a little bit and enjoy our mountain. What do you hear from those
0: people who've traveled here, be it on the Indy Pass or just coming to buy a ticket? What, what do you hear from them? What's their feedback when they, when they get up and they ski the Beaver?
1: Well, that reminded me of one interesting story, and it wasn't this season. Mm-hmm. It was last year. And we actually had some guests that thought they had booked at Beaver Creek, Colorado. And instead, they ended up at Beaver Mountain, Utah, which couldn't be a more contrasting ski area to Beaver Creek. And when we, when I heard about this, I thought, boy, they're going to want to get out of here and want no part of this, and they want ski in, ski out, and everything else. And they loved it they really love their experience here and they came back this year um, which was awesome and we've kind of seen that even with with people staying in Bear Lake and in Garden City and sometimes you know in years past it was because it was the last thing available in their timeshare and where's Beaver Mountain where's Bear Lake and grumbling about it and by the time they leave they really fall in love with the place and then they come back and we've kind of seen that i think this year with people that have come that you know maybe it was because it was on the Indy Pass and we were a Utah resort. Um, but we have had, I'd say, a fair amount of press lately, national media coverage that people say, oh, I saw you on this website or I saw you in this magazine article. And it's, uh, it's a fine line because we really want to remember, you know, kind of who we are and what we do and where our roots are. And we love catering to locals. I mean, that is our business. And and for the majority of bigger ski areas, you know, locals are kind of a write-off, and they're over here, and they're not a big part of it. And we do cater to locals. That's our our thing. And it's it's a ski mountain first and foremost. We have no lodging here. We say we're all mountain, no resort. Is uh, a saying on one of our t-shirts. And. And so we're trying to manage the growth and still keep our identity, you know, continue to improve the offering at the mountain, but we know we are going to have to grow to accommodate that because our numbers have, have grown significantly the past few years. But overall, these people that have shown up, I think this year, especially again with the snow conditions, I think we've been a little better than the majority of the state until the last storm, which went south of us, but, uh, You know, we've heard that quite a bit. Oh, I skied somewhere and I skied somewhere, and you guys do have the best coverage, and your mountain looks great and it's well taken care of, and the employees were helpful and friendly, and we like the vibe as well. And they kind of like getting away from the big ski area vibe or lack thereof. It's just a different experience. You know, we're, you know, we say it's skiing the way it used to be, but that's what we do here. It's a ski mountain.
0: Travis, one of the things that that I noticed this morning, I mean, you have what, 1,100, 1,200 acres here?
1: Yeah, just under 1,100.
0: So it skis big, and there, there's seemingly a lot of terrain. It seems like it's bigger than that. Can you give us a little rundown on what you have on the mountain?
1: Yeah, and that's, that's a common comment we hear, and I think... I think as we talk, the reason sometimes it does feel a little bigger than it looks is the lack of lifts. And not that we don't cover the terrain. We're very blessed at Beaver in having really good fall line terrain. Everything goes down. I kind of forget... How good it is, and I'll ski somewhere else, and there's catwalks and gullies and flats, and you know we definitely have a little bit of that, but for the most part, for being and we're seventeen hundred vertical, which is is far from the biggest, but you do get a lot of turning in in that seventeen hundred it's good quality runs. we do have one I call satellite lift, marges triple, which is our northernmost lift, which is the only one out of the main base area, and that is our our newest train—it's we've we've been in Marge's for 25 years now, but that was the newest train at the mountain, and an additional 400 acres of not quite as good a fall line skiing, but it's definitely got its following. It's a little quieter over there, and. Uh, people that, that like that side of the mountain head there immediately. And I think the snow quality shows that a little bit too, because we just don't get quite the amount of traffic. But the main lift on this side of the mountain is called Harry's Dream Lift, and it's named after the founder of Beaver Mountain, which was my grandpa, Harold C. Holzer. And the name came from... The lift wasn't completed till after Harry passed away, and he always wanted a lift to the top of the mountain, and so that's where Harry's Dream came from. And... That is definitely the most used part of the mountain, but one thing we're really excited about this year, which we didn't see this morning, is our beginner area. We did add an additional magic carpet this year. So we have two conveyors in the beginner area and a recently upgraded beginner chair. We have a SkyTrack fixed grip triple over there from Salt Lake with a lot of the, the growth of Logan as well. There's a lot of people and kids learning to ski and through the holidays with the, uh, the crowds that we had, we really appreciated that second conveyor to spread people out. Our ski school loved it, and it was so far a huge success in getting that. But um, I think the common theme on the front side is you know great fall line skiing, good grooming. I think we have great slope maintenance and uh, really nice tree skiing and steeper powder skiing.
0: You know, I didn't really take much of a foray into the trees today, but you could just see with the light snow that we had and some of the dips that we did into some of those glades that you really do have some nice open tree skiing.
1: Yeah, we have a lot of aspens, and we we try to keep it up, and it's a constant battle, just kind of thinning and cutting out new growth and undergrowth, and it's always interesting through the winter how that happens. All of a sudden, you're up in the branches when you have seven or eight feet on the ground, and you realize how much higher you are in the trees now. But I think beaver has a, it's kind of well known for that and has a lot of really good tree skiers that love that about the mountain. One other thing that usually works in our favor is we get very little wind. And so it really, really helps the snow quality if we're getting, you know, if you're skiing powder, it's it's very rarely wind affected. Um, These treed areas are even better that way because we really don't get the wind in there. And it's a mix of, you know, fir and and pine, but a lot of the aspen I think is the really quality tree skiing and uh, one of the ski utah bloggers a couple years ago said i'm gonna go ahead and say it the beaver has the best tree skiing in the state of utah and i don't know about that but it's fun it's a good time
0: oh it was it was a lot of fun today uh just had a great time up on the mountain just uh one more thing before we take a short break ski school i just before we came in for the interview saw the ski school getting ready to go out in the afternoon and this seems like a great place to learn to ski or snowboard
1: yeah, it is. And what, what they were doing today, actually, is we work with Utah State University and students can take ski classes through the university and then we fulfill them here at the mountain. And that program is is big this year. Um, we do have a lot of schools generally from the Cache Valley area that come up, middle schools, elementary schools, which has been downsized significantly due to COVID issues, which is a bummer this year, but they'll we'll be back next year. And so we can get groups of upwards of 200 school kids that come up here and we fulfill a rental and get them in a lesson. And this is kudos to our, our snow sports school and our rental shop. It's a well-oiled machine Just take 212 year olds off a bus and get them in proper equipment, get them on the snow is easier said than done. And those guys are pros and they do a great job of it. Um, and that's one aspect of it. And then also, uh, you know, the families, I think it's kind of typical in the ski world. You have a ski bum that maybe grows up and, uh, real life hits and they get away from things and they're married and quite often it's their kids that bring them back to the sport and you see them come back as their kids get old enough to start skiing and so then they bring their three and four year olds and all of us they used to think we were rock star skiers we just hang out on the magic carpet in the beginner hill now because we're hanging out with our kids but it's super rewarding you know and my kids are old enough now we just ski the whole mountain and that's when the payoff comes when your kids and you can just ski together and it's utmost family time and that's kind of what Beaver's known for is that family experience
0: We're with Travis Seeholzer here at Beaver Mountain. We're going to take a short break and be right back for the second half of this episode of Last Chair. And we have pried Marge out of the ticket booth, and she's going to join us with Travis to talk a little bit about the history of this amazing mountain. We'll be right back with Last Chair. Fun stuff with Travis, and I can't wait for you to meet Marge after the break to learn more about the family history of Beaver Mountain. Speaking of family, that's the story, too, of Level 9 Sports. Looking for a good shop you can trust on the Wasatch Front? Check out one of Level 9's four locations from Orem to Mill Creek to downtown Salt Lake and all the way up to Ogden. This time of season, it's good to check your boards. Level 9 offers full repair, including base welding, p and edge repair, and if your bonobs are still in good shape, there's nothing wrong with getting a good simple tune or a full-on race-worthy package. And let's talk boots for a minute. This is one of the most overlooked elements for skiers. Have you had your boots fitted? I was just thinking about that this weekend as I rested my bruised toes after a big powder day. The Level 9 boot fitters can work on your liner molding, shell forming, mold custom orthotic footbeds, and pretty much remedy any fit issues that you might have. Check out the family-friendly team at Level 9 Sports in Orem, Mill Creek, downtown Salt Lake City, and Ogden. Now let's get back to the Last Chair podcast to meet the matriarch of Beaver Mountain, Marge Seeholzer. And we're back at Beaver Mountain. I have Travis Seaholzer and Marge. And Marge, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Last Chair. We were able to pry you out of the ticket booth for a while. <laughs> Thank you. How How are things out there today?
2: Good. Good. It's it's fun. Uh, college classes, first college class this week, and they've got their feet under them now. Last week was a disaster because they come here. They've never been here before. They don't know anything about anything, but Now they're feeling a little more confident today, so it's good. Do
0: you get a lot of college students from Utah State up
2: here? We do, yeah. We have a lot. We have a good following. We do offer a student season pass, and Utah State kids purchase those. In fact, we're still selling them today. They're still buying them for this season. So Travis, I want to start off with you and then Marge will have you
0: weigh in. You are the longest continually operated family resort in the United States, as far as anyone knows and has been able to tell. Travis, in your mind, in in managing the uh, the resort, what are some of the characteristics that you bring out here at Beaver Mountain because of the long tradition you have in being a family-run resort?
1: Well, I it's kind of endless. Some things that are or fun to discuss growing up in a family like that is everybody else doesn't go take a snowcat out to cut their Christmas tree down, or just growing up at a ski area and those people you know in the industry will appreciate that and and I have friends and family ski areas that have grown up that way and you just kind of take a lot of that for granted I guess which is a pretty cool way to grow up. Um, you do get to put to work a lot and you know that's one thing at Beaver Mountain we're still small enough that. Um, We have a lot of different jobs, and we're not real specialized. We're not too worked up about titles. We just get the work done. And, you know, my dad was famous for everything they did, was 20 miles uphill in the snow, both directions and bare feet. But the reality is, as I've grown and been around here, is a lot of it was kind of true. I mean, it was unreal what went on, you know, back in those days with, you know, old technology to either you know clear a ski run or put in a lift you know in the in the 50s and and that's not easy now to do and to think of how hard that was in those days was uh it's pretty humbling and and some of the years you see the amount of work that was done here by a small group of people and with old equipment um is is pretty impressive in the early days of the resort but I think as far as the the modern day experience and what we have here I think we're Pretty well loved in the community. Um, I mean, people enjoy Beaver Mountain and feel some ownership in it, um, and not necessarily because it's family-run, but it is the, the local ski hill. And I think, I think because it is a local family, they they tend to feel more comfortable in claiming ownership. It can be good and bad because we are very accessible, as you saw today, which normally is a really good thing. But you know, as soon as we got off the lift today, someone had a suggestion for me, and the whole suggestion was he wanted a private ski area and how could he get here without everybody else participating. But that's pretty typical. Um, and like I said, most of the time that's, that's a good thing. And you know, the door's always open. We're here, we're visible, we're accessible. This is what we do. And, um, you know, this lady next to me in the ticket office works 65 plus hours a week still. I mean, she gets here at 6 AM. We come with our early crew for grooming and snow removal and, and she's the next one here and, A couple of years ago, we were um, trying to get her a a Wednesday off once in a while, and she got her back up and said, you're not putting me out to pasture yet. And we said, well, 65 hours a week isn't exactly putting you out to pasture, but a day off is okay once in a while.
0: By the way, I want to go back to that comment you made about the private uh, ski area. You know, when when you were having that conversation, I kind of looked around (laughs) a little bit, and I'm trying to count the people. I said, it does not get much more private than this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for the day and today, um, and that— and that gentleman skis a lot of days here, and I'm sure he's probably an 80-plus um, day-a-year skier and is loves beaver and is very complimentary and, and a good guy to boot. But I think a little bit of it is, you know, post-holiday, the holidays were busy and, and some of this this growth we've talked about. And he's lucky enough he can ski all week, and we're standing there with, you know, a 25% capacity lift and thought, well, yeah, exactly. How, how much more private do you need than this? I think I said to you, sorry about the lift lines, and I don't think we ever encountered anyone in the maze when we skied up to the lift. But, you know, those weekends are are busy, and, you know, that's the resort business in general, and and I think especially this year. But, uh, yeah, that's an interesting observation on your end, Tom, to to pick up on how crowded it really wasn't at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Marge, you actually are second generation
0: in the lineage here at. Uh, beaver mountain when you were uh, when you were growing up uh uh you, you had the the kids to to work for you as well and how how did you utilize that i mean was this a real family experience to be here and running the mountain
2: oh yes in fact when these kids were young i smile about this because i see it now with our grandkids you know if they want to play sports on a Saturday morning, the, the basketball that's always good for kids, well, you choose. And, you know, if you want to go ski and if they want to go with me, they get up in the middle of the night, they think, you know, they get up in the early hours, so they have a ride here. And, you know, we work them when they're young, and we have three generations working here now, and I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. When, when you
0: were courting and eventually married your husband. Uh, were you a skier then, or did you have any connection I was
2: not a skier. My family were not skiers. My brother had skied when he was young, just with some buddies. But no, we weren't a skiing family. And I want to tell you that the Seeholzer family was the skiing family in the community at that time, and it was hugely intimidating for me. So did you know what you were buying into? <laughs> no, I didn't. We came home from our honeymoon early because Ted's father called and said, we're getting snow, come home now. And was that in we November? Uh-huh. It was in November of 1964. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and pretty soon. And when did you, so when did you start in the ticket office? Well, we, we ran the cafe in the lodge the first few years we were married. And then Ted's dad got sick. He got cancer quite young. And so then Ted took over as general manager, and then I got into the ticket office when his mother kind of stepped aside. And so I've been in there for many, many years. In fact, people will come in that have grown children, and they'll say, Whoa, you're still here? How long have you worked here? (laughs) It's a badge of honor, isn't it? (laughs) Well, I think it is. It's kind of funny, because they think I'm old as dirt, and I guess I am, but... I love seeing the generations, you know, I, I knew them when they were little, and now I see their kids and their grandkids and their friends, and I, I love that. You know, one of the
0: things about skiing, and I think this is what really has built my passion in it, is it is a lifelong sport. It's, it's the little kids. Yep. It's the grandkids. Families. It's just a great activity for families, and you've been able to witness that every year in that ticket booth.
2: We, we do, and like Travis said, sometimes when the parents, they get married and have a young family, and they're in school, and they can't afford to ski, they think, and it's the kids that bring them back, and so we see them return, and I love that. It's just, it's awesome.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the history, and If you go to the Beaver Mountain website, there is a fantastic chronology that goes all the way back to 1918 where Harold Seeholzer, who is essentially the origins of this place, uh, started skiing, bought his first pair of skis. Um, Marge, can you start us out on that history and give us a little bit of the chronology of Beaver
2: Mountain? Well, I'm not very good at the dates and the sequence, but yeah, they... They started bringing the kids, wanting the kids to do something in the winter just for their kids and the kids' friends to have some winter fun. And Harold was a a trapper, and he knew Logan Canyon like the back of his hand. There wasn't a highway through Logan Canyon then, so they snowshoed. And uh, that was the early times, and there were trappers in Logan Canyon, and the trappers would be up in the mountains for weeks on end and sometimes the wives would get worried and they'd go to Harold and say, could you go check on them and see if they're okay? So he would either take the snowshoes or the skis and go be sure they were okay. And it started from that because he loved Logan Canyon so much and then he kind of picked the spot and I swear to this day he was inspired, the spot he picked. Many times we've got to the turnoff on that road and it's been raining and we turn and it turns to snow in that mile to Beaver Mountain.
0: You know, it's it's a little bit of a drive up Logan Canyon, about 40 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. A gorgeous, gorgeous drive. But I was thinking back to those olden days and I, I think it was 1937 when theoretically a road was put into maybe within a mile or so of Beaver Mountain but in those early days, how did people get up here? I mean, were they able to drive once this road was put in? And how did they get up here before the road existed? Well, that,
2: that's how they did as far as I know. That's what my in-laws always told me was that it would be on snowshoes or skis. And then when the road was first put in, there wasn't the road into Beaver. And so they would have to hike in and they would hike to the top and start the motor up there for the, it would have been a rope tow. That's how it all started.
1: Well, there was a funny joke in my grandpa's memoirs about uh, everybody's just parking out on the highway, and they're stomping in here or skiing in here. And uh, my grandma Luella always, or excuse me, it was Harry, always said, make sure you park where we can get out and we don't get blocked in. And she just laughed at him and says, we're always the first ones here and the last ones <laughs> to leave. Why would it matter where we park? But, you know, we're a mile of highway, Highway 243 off of 89, which is the main road through Logan Canyon. It's a mile in here. And I assume there was some well-worn path that they kept up and just yeah. walked in or skied in with their eight-foot pine skis. And they skied yeah. into the base. And she mentioned the rope tow. And somebody had to hike to the top to start the motor. And that was the case with several of the early surface lifts. Somebody had to walk to the top and start it. And, um the first person before the evolution of the or the uh, formation of the National Ski Patrol system, first person here for the day was the ski patroller. And they had, <laughs> Harry handed him a vest and said, you're ski patrol today. And that's just kind of how it worked.
0: I, I love that they had to climb to the top of the yeah. mountain to, to start, start the it. lift.
2: Yep. <laughs> That's dedication, don't you think? It's true dedication. (laughs) It it totally is.
1: That goes back to that walking uphill to schools thing, and it was kind of (laughs) true.
2: Well, and, and also there was just a small group, just a few families that participated, and he'd always make it very clear that you boot pack before you go make a run because that's what you did. There weren't machines and groomers and all that sort of stuff. So you had to do your share of boot packing before you had any fun. Do, did you know
0: Harold, mm-hmm. March? Yes. Can, can you? I want to talk about Harold, and then we'll move on to Ted. But what were some of the passions that Harold had? What was it that inspired
2: him to be so active in the outdoors? He was very quiet and soft-spoken. He loved hunting and fishing and the winter and the snow. And I think his passion was in instilling in his kids... Something quality that they could do to pass those years so that they didn't get in trouble. He said that more than once. Something that was constructive and, and that they enjoyed and that they could enjoy as a family. And and that certainly was passed down to his son, Ted. It was. Yeah, it definitely was. And Harold and Luella did this as a donation for many years. They both worked full time. He was a lather which is a lost art with plastering. And Luella worked in a women's clothing store in Logan so they could support their habit. (laughs) And Ted was the first full-time paid employee, but that was many years later because all the kids donated time. Even as adults and married adults, they donated their time on weekends and holidays to build up the ski resort.
0: Was there a good cadre of people in the Logan area who shared that passion and came up here to Beaver Mountain?
2: It was a small group at the start, but I think they were a very dedicated group. The families that were involved, I think, really loved it and supported Harold and Luella in their efforts and loved it for their children, too.
0: There's a great memorial for Harold and Luella and you know Travis can you speak to that a little bit and and when was that put in it's it's right at the entrance to the resort and really a nice documentation of what they contributed to start Beaver Mountain.
1: Yeah it's relatively new it was installed two years ago so it would have been in the fall of 2019 and it was a long time coming and and one thing you know we as a family wanted to do to to honor them and their their achievements here and my older brother kim i think really was the spearhead to you know we talked about it a lot and had meetings and talked and had meetings and and then we finally got it done and, and made it happen and we had a really nice uh, dedication for that there is a short summation on the the memorial of kind of the history of the mountain and the The photo that was used for that relief was a photo of Harry and Luella in a double chair on Beaver's facelift, taking a phone to the top, lift shack. And Harold was wearing his long, furry, Berber kind of alpaca coat that all the photos I ever saw of him, that's what he was wearing. And Luella had uh, big wool socks on, I assume, over the top of her boots in the photo, and it was kind of neat during the the little dedication we did that day we we basically invited anyone that wanted to come and we didn't have a clue if that was 100 people or 200 we really had no idea and we were trying to provide some food and a few things and I think we guessed we ended up with 450 close to 500 people wow um, drove up the canyon in the fall and we had a nice nice fall day and you know, got to fill that appreciation, I think, from the community that, that uh, had a rooted interest in Beaver Mountain and, and growing up here. But one of our old, old employees and good friends of ours, and I did not know this till it happened, but he presented us that telephone. And my grandma had given that to him 30-something years ago. I had no idea he even had it. And maybe these guys did. But he said, well, if we decided it's time to give it back and it it was just timely because that's what they're doing in the picture and they're going up to get you know and even something as simple as that is not that easy in those days (laughs) to to get a phone to the top of the mountain and be able to talk back and forth and this thing weighs like 80 pounds and it's not very big but understanding (laughs) old phone technology that's he handed that to me that day and I was like I don't know if I can lift this thing but it's a super cool thing to have for our collection you know in-house but a nice gesture by someone to to return that and kind of see the significance of that and the, the gentleman's name is Bill Gruy and he's been in the ski industry for years selling snowcats and working at Beaver Mountain um, but it was a fun day and I think a lot of people enjoyed it and and we were able to put some of this history into words and and put out these little pamphlets for the program and We've had people come back wanting more and more copies. I want to send one to my kid. I want to do this. And there's some old photographs and some of the timeline you mentioned
2: in there. So that was fun.
0: Marge, this place has really been an integral part of the greater Logan community, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, yep, it has. And, you know, we forget, like Travis said, um, I think through the years, and this is where we work, so I think we forget, even like you mentioned, the the beauty of driving Logan Canyon. I forget, because I... While I'm driving, I'm in my mind now. What have I got to do today? And I check off this list and think, what have I got to do when I hurry home? And sometimes you forget how lucky you are to be where you are and have this place. And I'm guessing, though, Marge, when you're driving
0: it, it's oftentimes dark. Yes, it is. <laughs> and it's a lot nicer in the sunshine. It right. was just gorgeous today. It was, yeah. you know, because we've had the snow coming in and out, there were just little rays of sunlight that were illuminating the white uh, snow that had accumulated on the Red Rock Cliffs. It was just a gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous drive yeah. uh, up today. Uh, Travis, what have been some of the big innovations, and, and let, let's go back to one that we take for granted right now, but uh, the, the chairlift. I think it was the early 60s when the the resort got its first chairlift.
1: Yeah, we had, up to that point, had several iterations of surface lifts, T-bar. Um, there was a T-bar right up the run that is known as Beaver's Face, which is, it's steep. I and mean, It's 35 degrees, and it's, uh, that lift probably had a vertical of Maybe eleven hundred feet in the original T-bar, and then um, the Beaver's facelift was put in, which in that era and, and most of this is just obviously historical to me. But it was done from Pomagowski in France, and um, you know, and on a budget that was a huge investment for this uh, business at this time. And Harold was able to acquire some suitable water pipe for the towers, um, which are still there today. And they're they're good towers, but they were a little easier way to find them than from a ski lift company. But, you know, the early chairlifts, a lot of them had wood towers and some in the Wasatch Front. Mm -hmm. And everything we had was still towers, but... Everything was hauled up on the blade of a a dozer, and and even some of the footings were dug by hand because we didn't have equipment to get up there. And again, this is before my time, but um, I can't imagine how big of an impact the first chairlift had and what a splash that was I still get super excited to pull into a parking lot at a ski area and see cables go up a mountain Mm -hmm. I think ski lifts are super cool and and even any other resort I go to ski lifts excite me and I think you know the very first one to see chairs going up a mountain and I can sit on this and go to the top and ski down had to be just phenomenal. I mean, surface lifts have their place, but it's not the same as sitting on a chair and going up the hill. You know, I,
0: th- I think a lot as a skier, and I've skied for 50 years. I didn't ski as a kid though, but there's no sport really like this. And ski areas take up a fair amount of real estate, but what we can do with those lift rides and how we can transfer that, that six to eight minute ride up the mountain into this super exciting and pleasurable experience of sliding down on snow. Uh, It's it's really an amazing sport. And we've seen this year, because I think because of COVID, so many more people coming out and participating and getting outdoors and having that exhilaration of the snow and the wind in their face.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think You know, the outdoor industry as a whole keeps that momentum that we saw even throughout the summer, you know, and into the fall. And different people have had different takes on, you know, some people thought it was fully just going to be all brand new people to the sport of skiing. And I think we've seen a fair bit of that, which is always a challenge in our industry. Um, But I think that's the takeaway. I think you kind of hit that on the head. The essence of Beaver Mountain and and with my parents and my grandparents – it obviously wasn't financial. You know, nobody was getting rich up here uh, building a ski area. But the the real appreciation and the joy is letting someone enjoy your mountain and hopefully appreciate all the work that you put into it. But getting that thrill of smooth, fast acceleration on a pair of skis, you know, for somebody to be able to do that. It is unique, and it's a, it attracts a unique guest, I think. And I've always felt like ski people are good people. They're people I like to hang out with. And I'm not sure why that is, but... Um, it's, it's exciting to get to, to share that with people and share something you love doing.
0: Marge, what was the joy that your husband, Ted, got from skiing?
2: Oh, I, I think he loved it. He loved, well, he loved the outdoors. He loved to hunt and fish, and he's passed that on to Travis and got it from his dad, so he enjoyed the outdoors, and I think he loved f- the pride of what his parents had started and to continue it on. I think he loved that. He was he was pretty gruff in the exterior. So you had to get past that to see that. But he was very proud of of what his parents had started for us. I
0: think the industry has a lot of people like that who they have this this inner sense of really wanting to give this back and give mm-hmm. it back to the next generation. When when the kids were growing up, were they
2: bombing all over the mountain? Oh yeah, yeah they they started to ski very young and yeah they were little hot dogs and of course you know the the employees and the public would say oh yeah that's that little Seeholtzer brat and they'd ski circles around the big people. But you know another thing that I think about in thinking back of history and how things have changed, we didn't have electricity here for years. We had generators. So when Ted and I would come it'd be in the dark, he would leave the truck lights on, walk down to the generator house with the flashlight in his hand, turn the generator on. It made all kinds of noise and it stunk to high heaven. And then the lights went on. So we'd do the reverse at night. They'd go down and turn the generator off and it would be black and quiet. And then from that, the same with phones. We didn't have phones here we had the radios. We had a radio right by our bed. I had a radio in my car. Ted had one in his truck, and we had one here at the mountain. And if there wasn't somebody by the radio and we had trouble, then we were in big trouble. Times, times have changed, though, haven't they?
1: Yeah, we feel like we're pretty tech now because we have phones and electricity, and, and the, the one other thing as a kid I remember, and I, I was here for the generator, Experience, and but the next task after that was going to stoke the coal furnace, and we would go in and pull all the clinkers out, which we would spread on the parking lot and stoke the furnace for the day, and that's kind of what I remember growing up. Is you'd have to go down and turn the generator on, and my cousins took great joy out of hiding in the generator house (laughs) and scaring the out of you when you walked down there because. It was dark in this long, creaky old stairway down into the generator. My one cousin in particular would hide up in the loft and just love to scare the crap out of you when you walk down there. <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't until and the reason we got power at the resort is a generator burning, build da- excuse me, burned down midwinter, and some groomers found it about three in the morning. Fire was being fed by a three thousand gallon diesel tank, and the ski industry in Utah, in particular, really um, supported Beaver Mountain and and offered all of our pass holders they could use our passes at their resort because we were we were done we were dead in the water and I think the resort was only closed it was under two weeks 10 days or something by the time we got a new generator from the Midwest which a local company offered a truck that was out there to bring this thing back
2: and volunteers to help build yeah, our the building. ski
1: patrol built the building there's a building down here I kind of joke about that looks like it was built in a day because it was and they framed it up and got this thing built and it was a bunch of our ski patrol My
2: dad uh, was a builder uh, and yeah, my grandpa Quinn
1: and they got all this put together and we were we were back running but the blessing in disguise was we got your <laughs> off the power the next year and we had to bring it in from bear lake so we brought it in here 15 miles which was a Expensive. significant investment you know to do but in hindsight probably worth it we're glad we have power here now
0: well that that's really a great story and i think you're right that the the industry historically has always banded together it is a family helping yeah. each other and that's really a heartwarming story to uh, to hear that 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 happened um I want to thank both of you for taking the time and telling the story of Beaver Mountain. We're going to move now into the closing section that I call Fresh Tracks. And I've got a few questions for each of you. Uh, Hopefully simple things, maybe tax your mind and pick a few favorites and things that you haven't. So Travis, this I hope will be an easy question. Maybe it won't be, but what is your favorite ski run here at Beaver Mountain?
1: (laughs) That is a loaded question. Um, Depends on the day. But I think if I had to pick one... Um, and we did ski at our last run today, would be uh, Stan's Bonanza. And it's just a great fall line run. It all goes downhill with a pretty good pitch. A little bit of a European fall line, kind of has a double fall line at the bottom, and great visibility. And it, it's pretty much top to bottom, Pretty, I'd say 1,500 vertical feet at that pitch to the bottom. And I still like to kind of go fast once in a while, and it's a fun place to do that on. You, you were fast today. I was feeling it. (laughs) Well, you you
0: were definitely feeling it. And that one had a little bit of terrain that I didn't know. So that was the one run where you really got a big lead on me. So good for you there. How about outside of Beaver Mountain here in Utah? Do you have a favorite run or favorite other resort that you like to sneak away to once in a while?
1: Um, It's probably a little cliche, but I think high boy, outside wrestler is pretty hard to beat. Um. And I've, I've spent quite a bit of time at Alta and know, know their operation, and I, I love the history. And the, sometimes it's irritating, like even last week, when they kick on that snow machine they have down there. And we feel like we ought to be getting snow, and Little Cottonwood just seems to always produce. Um, and we're pretty spoiled here, and we have pretty good quality snow. But I've had some really enjoyable days at Alta and, and appreciate the culture there and the quality of the snow and the depth of the snow.
0: Cool. That, by the way, that run comes up frequently with podcast <laughs> guests here on Last Chair. Marge, do you have any idea how many people you have greeted here at Beaver Mountain since you started in that ticket booth in
2: 1964? Oh, no, I don't. But I I love it. I love everyone. And you know what? 99% of them, it's, it's always good. You know, you get to hear the bad things that they complain to you if the snow's bad or something wasn't right. You hear that, but the the good outweighs the bad so much. And that's one of the very favorite things about my job is meeting all the people and all the friends I have. Do
0: you have any particular heartwarming story that you could
2: share with us from over the years? Oh, so many. I, I no, I... I have these families that come back that haven't been here for years and years, and they'll come and they'll say, "Oh, we're so happy you're still here," <laughs> and that to me is fun because I think sometimes, I guess I should retire and stay home, but I don't want to. I love it. I love it here, and I love the people. And yeah, you know, we just have generations. You see the the parents, and then their children, and then their grandchildren, and I couldn't tell you how many, but lots. Cool.
0: So for either one of you, for people who may be making a a trip up here to ski at Beaver Mountain, what's another fun thing to do either around Beaver Mountain or down in Logan?
1: One thing I think a lot of people, if you're into, you know, the outdoor experiences, just up the road from us is Beaver Creek Lodge, which does have snowmobile rentals, and I, I have had a few buddies that, you know, even came up with their families and people in the ski industry that have just never been on a snowmobile and, and haven't done that. And they've come up and stayed to ski, but for something else to do, they've gone for a snowmobile ride. And it's uh, as hard as you want to make it, but it's, you know, a guided trip with a lot of great instruction, which is definitely necessary. And you, 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 a lot of the areas that they travel, you get to see the ski area from, so you kind of get to see it from a different perspective. But that's one thing that I think is fun for people if they're looking for something different to do. That's a good
0: one. So just going to close it out with a couple more for you, Travis. First of all, do you have a favorite Utah craft beer?
1: Um, that's almost as hard as favorite ski run, but probably have to say Squatter's IPA. I think that would that would be the go-to.
0: And last one for you, Travis, groomers, moguls, glades, or powder? It's got
1: to be powder. (laughs) Um, I hear that question, I kind of laugh, and a lot of people have different answers, but absolutely powder in my book. Nothing like it. Travis
0: Seeholzer, Marge Seeholzer, thank you so much for joining us here today on Last Chair, but also for all you've put into the sport and making such an enjoyable experience. I had a great time
1: on the mountain today. Yeah, we appreciate it. Come back and see us soon. Thank you.
0: Sometime this week, put your Zoom calls on hold, grab the skis, and head up to Beaver Mountain for an experience you'll never forget. You know, you've always wanted to go up there, so make it this week. Last weekend, on yet another Deer Valley Powder Day, I stopped in again at the St. Regis Deer Valley. I love the Yurt Village setup slope-side. Each yurt offers a private dining or opre opportunity for up to eight guests. Each yurt is individually themed based on the Olympic events held at Deer Valley in 2002. The yurts feature intricate mahogany latticework, a plexiglass stargazing dome, and windows overlooking the snow-covered Wasatch Range. They offer radiant heat and have a great rustic feel. Make a reservation today for lunch, opre, or dinner. You can reach them by skis on your way down to Mountaineer Express or take the funicular up from Snow Park Lodge. The five-star St. Regis Deer Valley is known for many things, but its Remed Spa is well worth a visit. The spa offers state-of-the-art face and body treatments where professionals utilize holistic and ancient healing arts. Think about a spa day at St. Regis to relax and renew, maybe for a special occasion valentine's day is coming up which is a perfect time for a couple's treatment this season make the saint regis deer valley your choice for an unforgettable experience on the mountain the ski utah last chair podcast is brought to you by high west distillery follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at drink high west and remember sip responsibly High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. In our next episode of Last Chair, we'll explore a proposed new gondola up Little Cottonwood Canyon. Subscribe today to Last Chair so you're the first to hear each new episode. Now let's turn it over to Pixie and the Grass Boys to close out this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West, have fun. It's a great day to ski. Well, you can't ski and party if you don't ski and party. A wise woman not send to me, so I'll ski and party so
2: I can't ski and party. Until I can't ski and party no more.